0: Hi everyone, I'm Nathan, the host of this podcast, and today I'm honored to be joined by Ms. Victoria Urdell. In 2018, Victoria Urdell was one of the 50 people chosen worldwide to be designated as one of the UN's youth innovators. As an innovator, she was included in their annual report and invited to present her podcasting work alongside some UN employees at the Nobel Peace Prize Forum later that year. She also received mentorship from the UN Sustainable Development Solutions Network to expand her podcast's reach. Hi, Victoria. How are you doing?
1: Hi, Nathan. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on your podcast today.
0: Well, thank you so much for being here. So I just want to start with the question that we ask every guest on this podcast, and that is, if you can have dinner for two, with any historical figure, who would it be and why?
1: Mm, Yeah, that is such a clever question. I love that one. I think I would choose Atahualpa. He was the last emperor of the Incan empire before the Spanish came and basically changed the course of Latin American history or just all of American history. Um, I chose him for a few reasons. One, I actually have Ecuadorian ancestry on my mother's side. She is from Ecuador. And so growing up, I heard a lot of some of them were legends, you know, of the indigenous people of Ecuador. So can't really base it in any historical fact, but uh, at least the characters in those stories were real, such as Atahualpa. And I just remember always being so fascinated by that because to me, it just signaled my my ancestry my my heritage right in a time before that everything changed and so I think being able to have dinner with him would be really interesting because I would get to meet someone who kind of lived right on the cusp of the way things were and the way things are now so that's why I chose him
0: mm-hmm. well it's extremely interesting I guess through history courses I've definitely heard a lot about the Incan empire but we never really covered specific figures like we would with Presidents and such. So I guess it brings us to a theme of how whether we like it or not, history as a whole does is subjective. And in a sense, people could see it as being Eurocentric, but it is up to us to sort of recover these less known parts of history because all of it is equally valuable.
1: So absolutely.
0: So uh, moving on, how did you get involved in the SDGs?
1: Right. So it wasn't something that, if I'm being honest, I did intentionally. I didn't wake up one morning and think, oh, I want to get involved with the sustainable development goals. It was a little bit more of a winding path. I have been interested specifically in the issue of human trafficking for a very long time. I'm 24 now, but when I was eight years old, that's when I kind of first became aware of the issue, which is essentially modern day slavery. Um, I didn't really start doing anything about it. It didn't really start researching it more until i was in high school i believe by the time i got to college i was just so interested in this topic like what are all the different manifestations of human trafficking how do we fight it that i took all these classes on human trafficking i started researching it formally for my university and by the time i was i believe a junior in college so my third year of college I decided to launch my own podcast, actually, about human trafficking. It was called The Trafficking Dispatch, and we just had 15-minute episodes about the various forms of human trafficking, interviews with other advocates, interviews with survivors, even an interview with a former trafficker, just to learn more about the issue and what what young people specifically can do to uh, sustainably fight against it. And so I was already doing that work kind of independently when Muhammad Yunus, he was... I believe a 2006 Nobel Peace Prize winner, he came to my university again to talk about the SDGs. And so that's when I really first heard about them. I think I was 20 years old at the time. And I remember becoming so fascinated with the SDGs because they were the 17 goals, basically the world's most prominent issues that were very neatly categorized, like I said, into 17 different goals. And I realized that my work on the podcast and all of the previous research for advocacy that I had done before already aligned with these SDGs, in particular SDG number four, which has to do with quality education, and then also SDG number 16, which has to do with peace and justice. Um, so after learning about the SDGs and realizing that my work already aligned with it, I just started to look into other opportunities related to the SDGs, such as uh, the Youth Assembly in New York City. That's something I found out about, I think, through a Google search. And so I applied, Applied to attend the Youth Assembly in 2018 um, again for SDGs number four and sixteen, and I was accepted. So I got to go to New York City that summer for about a week to just learn about all of the SDGs, and then also to learn or to network with um, other young advocates from around the world. And so it was a really informative, really impactful week of my life. I made so many friends from around the world that I'm still friends with that I still keep in contact with to this day, and uh, shortly. After that event, I was invited to apply for the Young uh, the young Innovator Youth Solutions Report Award that you mentioned briefly at the beginning. Um, so I just submitted my work with a podcast to raise awareness for my podcast. We already had reached, I believe, listeners in about 80 countries by that time. But after being accepted as Youth Innovator, we reached listeners in over 100 countries. So it really helped... Uh, raise awareness for the podcast, which in turn raised more awareness for human trafficking and the SDGs. So I did that. And then after that, (laughs) I was invited to present with some of the UN Sustainable Development Solutions Network staff at the Nobel Peace Prize Forum, again, to talk about SDG number 16 on peace. So I did that again later in 2018. So it was kind of like Several years of me just working on my own, me working independently. And then once I found out about the SDGs, it all very quickly snowballed from one opportunity to the next opportunity. And I really preferred my working after I learned about the SDGs because it didn't feel like I was alone anymore. I felt like I had a network of community who had my back, who really understood my personal drive. And they were there to support me before it felt a little lonely. And I definitely burned out a lot faster before.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Was there sort of a big event during your high school years that got you so interested? Or was it a slower process of just being aware of this issue?
1: Um, It was a mix of both. I think the slower things that kind of got me more interested were just reading books. Most of them were fictional books, but they were based on real events of survivors of human trafficking, what they'd gone through. But I think two of the biggest things that really pushed me to start my career in anti-trafficking advocacy was when I was 13, I met my current boss. I work for an anti-human trafficking organization now. But I met her because she came to talk about her work, her organization, what they do. And even though I was only 13 at the time, I remember listening to her and thinking to myself, like, wow, that's amazing. I want to dedicate my career to fighting human trafficking. But again, I was 13, so I didn't actually know what I could do at that point. But I just kept it in the back of my head. Um, And then when I was 17, I believe, I met another woman who also fights human trafficking. And it just kind of renewed my interest in the issue, reminded me that it's still going on to this day. Um, And then I also found out that one of my acquaintances, we were were definitely on friendly terms. I don't know if I would call her my best friend or anything, but I, I just knew of her. She knew of me. I found out that she was actually a survivor of child trafficking herself. And I remember that just blew me away because before that, you know, everything I had read or every person, every advocate I had met, they, those were all secondhand experiences, right? Um, They just, they knew someone who had been trafficked, but it still seemed like a very distant issue, something that wasn't, you know, closely connected to me. But once I found out that one of my acquaintances was actually a survivor, that really just changed my whole perspective. And it made me realize that it is an issue that is actually quite close to all of us. We might not realize it, but it definitely is there. And um, it's just a matter of digging a little deeper to find it.
0: Uh-huh. Well from your experience from engaging with the United Nations sustainable development goals to transform our world for the better. Um What are the lessons you feel we can learn from history to achieve these
1: goals? Right. So I think kind of going back to what I said in my first response of who would I want to have dinner with, um, I mentioned an Indigenous leader. And I think also like what you said right after that about how we tend to have a Eurocentric view of history or, you know, we tend to look at history from the lens of the victors. Um, I think if there's one lesson we can take, it's that we need to diversify our view um, for example I, I feel like i'm going to talk a lot about indigenous people <laughs> in this interview but they offer a lot so i think a lot of times we will spend a lot of time figuring out like how can we be more sustainable how can we reduce our consumption reduce our waste you know reduce our carbon footprint those are all really good things right but we spend all of this time and energy and then we come up with a solution and then we find out like oh this is what indigenous groups have been doing for centuries, right? Um, So I think if we just go back to history, try to change the lens from which we look at it, we would probably find a whole wealth of knowledge that we didn't previously have. And then we could carry that into current solutions. I think we would honestly achieve SDGs at a lot faster rate.
0: I guess a big mission of this podcast is to learn from history so we don't repeat the same Mm -hmm. mistakes, but I guess it's Mm -hmm. also to learn from history. So we do the thing, we continue doing the right things again and again. And as you said, um, when you talked about the different layers of history, it sort of reminded me of this graphic novel, I read mouse, which regarded the Holocaust Mm -hmm. and how the events were interpreted with a lot of layers of truth. So it kind of started with the actual events, personal experience the writing and illustration of that experience by an author and then it's up to us to interpret that history and sort of bring it to our next generation as well so
1: right. just
0: that, although history is definitely not perfect it's very subjective there are a lot of lessons to be learned
1: for sure for sure
0: so from a sociological lens what do you see as the biggest challenge to sdgs
1: I think there are two big challenges. So the SDGs in themselves are quite ambitious because we gave ourselves about 15 years (laughs) to really tackle some of the largest uh, issues in our our world. Um, But I think perhaps one of the biggest issues is just general awareness. Um, I can't speak for every country out there, obviously, but because I am from the United States, I can say that I don't really recall ever being educated about the SDGs when I was in kindergarten through my senior year of high school. I went to public schools. We didn't talk about them at all. Um, And when I did find out about them in college, that was really just almost by accident because I just happened to meet a Nobel Peace Prize recipient who talked about them. I think we would definitely need to raise more awareness of them because obviously we can't achieve what we're not aware of. Um, And I think the second issue from a sociological perspective is just to get more corporations on board with the SDGs. Um, I think the SDGs tend to focus a lot on individual or community effort, which is great, obviously, and also on governmental effort, which is also good. But we tend to leave out the private sector. um, And I think that can be an issue because you know a lot of these big companies, I don't want to make it sound like they're the only ones responsible for for any of the issues in our world today but they do play a large part and i think sometimes they're allowed to just uh kind of operate under the radar without having to fix any of their practices um and i read somewhere that i think 0.2 percent of all companies in the world actually explicitly align themselves to the sdgs which means almost all of the rest of them don't that's that's a problem right um so yeah i think just getting more corporations involved would be a huge step in accomplishing. the SDGs by 2030.
0: Uh Um, So in a world so globalized, um, corporations and MNCs are big players in international relations and just how the world operates. And with that comes a certain level of influence. How do you think that governments or we as people can hold them accountable for what they do so that they're also making taking strides to help in our process of keeping this world sustainable.
1: Right. So governments can definitely play a part in making sure that they're uh, just kind of auditing these corporations when they can. Of course, the government only has so much of a reach, I guess, depending on the type of government, but um, you know, making sure that the government is doing the most that they possibly can do in their country system to really keep these corporations in check. I think we as individuals, it can almost seem impossible or at the very least daunting to try to go up against these large corporations. But there have been examples, again, in history where uh, people have really come together and they've won. So a really good example of that. It's a little bit more of a recent example, but I think it's also really encouraging because it has to talk of or it has to deal with social media. Um, was it was about nestle specifically they're the largest food company in the world and they were not sourcing the palm oil which i believe they used for their kit cats and just other chocolate products they were not sourcing that in an ethical manner the way that they were um, extracting the palm oil was actually very harmful to the natural environment i believe in indonesia and there were just so many orangutans that were either dying directly from that process or because they were destroying the environment where they were in live. There was an environmental group, I believe again, in Indonesia that created this online campaign. It was just a quick video to raise awareness about this issue. And it went viral and people from all over the world, people who had probably never been to Indonesia were all really pressuring Nestle on their social media pages to address this issue, to change their ways. And After a lot of pressure, they did. They um, created this whole new board to look at the problem, to figure out how to address the issue. They invited people from all over the world who are experts, people local to the community, whatever. They got them all involved so that they could change this process. And again, that is still kind of a smaller issue on the, the large scale of things because all of that effort just changed the palm oil sourcing. And Nestle does so much more than that. But it was still a huge first step, and it did definitely have a huge impact on that local environment. And so I think that's just a really good example, especially now that we have social media. Um, We can become more involved in issues that are physically so distant from us. That's something that we probably wouldn't have been able to do before, or at least not as easily. Um, So I think just becoming more aware and then using the tools you currently have to raise awareness or to put pressure, those are really good steps that you can take.
0: Mm -hmm. It's very encouraging to hear such a success story, per se, and that um, many of us, I think, have influence that we don't know, especially in such an interconnected world. And just, as you said, levying that to take action is extremely important. For sure. Um, With that said, how would you assess the success of the Sustainable Development Goals so far? Is there anything you feel needs to be changed or added?
1: Um. I think they're pretty comprehensive. Like I said, there's 17 goals. I can't off the top of my head think of the 18th goal, but um, and, and all of the goals have sub goals. So if you look into them more, if you think like, oh, I haven't you know, seen a goal that address this, dr- addresses this issue, there probably is a sub goal that addresses that issue. You just need to you know, dig a little more. So in that sense, I think it's quite successful in that they've pretty much thought of everything you can think of. Um, In terms of their implementation, I think we have about almost eight years now because it's about to be 2022. We have about eight years left to achieve these goals because we set our deadline to 2030. Um, Eight years is really in, in the grand scheme of human history is a very short amount of time to make significant strides in all of these goals. So if I'm being completely honest, just totally frank, I don't know if we're going to make it in eight years, to be sure, the goal wasn't to like achieve world peace, la- lasting peace in eight years or by 2030. But it was to make significant strides. I think we have definitely done a good job in certain goals. Um, I think perhaps other goals haven't been quite as prioritized as they should have been. So it will probably be something that takes us long after 2030 to really make significant progress. Um, but that being said, I think everyone understands we're all human. As idealistic as we are, we are bound to make mistakes, we are bound to not live up to all of our expectations, and that's okay. The real objective is to keep moving forward. Um, As long as we're not staying still, as long as we're not regressing, I think that's really the biggest measurement of success.
0: With that being said, with such daunting and high targets in mind, how can students, with the resources they have, get involved with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, especially goal number 16, which preaches for peace, justice, and strong institutions?
1: Right. Um, That's a good question. There are actually a lot of organizations already out there, which I'm really uh, encouraged by. So, I mentioned one already earlier. It's called the Youth Assembly. That was originally set up by the UN. I think it's now run by one of their subgroups, but the point is they are still very much involved with the UN and the SDGs. The Youth Assembly happens, I think, at least once a year, maybe twice a year in New York City, occasionally in Washington, D.C., and it's really just this week-long event where you can attend all of these different sessions about the different SDGs. You kind of have to bounce around and pick the sessions that would most interest you, but Uh, Because it's a global event, you will meet kids from so many different countries. I mean, I made friends from the Philippines, from Saudi Arabia, from the Seychelles. I don't think I would have ever met someone from the Seychelles had it not been for that event. Um, And you just learn about the SDGs. And it's just a really, really amazing event that I would highly encourage everyone to apply for. You don't have to be currently doing anything uh, for the SDGs. I mean, you can be and go. But it's really available to anyone who just wants to learn more. If you are just getting started, I think it's a really great opportunity to look into. And especially because of COVID, um, I think they're doing a lot of their programming online now. So if the travel expense or applying for a visa, if that would be too difficult for you to attain at this present moment, you can look into attending just online. And I think it would still be a a really worthwhile experience. Um, We also have the Youth Innovation Program, Youth Innovator Program. That is, again, run by the UN, specifically the Sustainable Development Solutions Network Youth Branch. They run that program, and it's for kids who have already started some sort of initiative. It could be like a local organization, a podcast. Um, It's just a program to help kids scale their project to the next level. So I also participated in that. Um, Related to that is the Youth Solutions Report, which picks 50 kids from around the world and their projects to just compile this report and advertise them to the world again that's something that i was involved in and that report alone helped a lot because before being included in the report i believe my podcast had reached people in 80 countries on all six habitable continents but after being in that report we broke listeners in over a hundred countries again on all six habitable continents um And that fed into that mentorship program, which, again, just helped with scaling my podcast, helped with improving the quality of my podcast, things like that. So those are three really amazing programs that I think everyone can get involved in in some capacity or at the very least, just explore a little bit more. Um, If for whatever reason, those wouldn't work for you. Um, You can also just see if there's a local chapter, either specifically related to the SDGs, or at least some sort of local organization that you find personally interesting, that you want to maybe volunteer for, um, participate in their events, because I can guarantee you they're basically going to be related to at least one of the SDGs, or one of the sub goals in some way, way, sorry. Um, I think finally, like I said, the Nobel Peace Prize Forum, that's another really good opportunity because that very obviously relates to SDG number 16 about peace and justice and uh, strong institutions. So that's a really good opportunity that is hosted in the United States. But again, because of COVID, I'm sure they have some sort of online part um, that you can participate in.
0: Yeah, well, um, thank you for all those suggestions. I guess a big, there are initiatives to work towards these. For example, at my school, I'm part of something called the Citizen Action Council where we're trying to restructure service clubs to do good well so that the service we actually do leaves an undeniably positive impact on our communities. At at times, it is hard to scale something like that and really realize whether or not we're heading towards the right direction in terms of helping these SDGs. So thank you for all your suggestions.
1: Of course. mm -hmm.
0: Well, once again, um, thank you, Victoria. It was fascinating to hear about the UN Sustainable Development Goals and the importance to raise awareness for them, as well as having everyone, schools, conglomerates, and governments alike to do their share in making the world a better place. As you said, even through COVID, we as students have opportunities through online programs and physical programs like the UN Youth Assembly to make our mark. I hope that this podcast can take a step in inspiring some to take the same path that you have and working so closely with the SDGs, trying to make the world a better place. But as you also said, it can be daunting to take on such challenges, especially in a 15 year timeframe, but change always starts one person at a time. And in many cases, we're more influenced than we think, especially in such an interconnected world where whole movements can be sparked with just the posting of one message on social media. So I think this all brings us back to the theme of the podcast and especially how we started with talking with Atahualpa and how we really want to learn from history and especially its positives as well to keep our world sustainable, learn what they did well, continue emulating that so that we can live on Earth for generations to come try not to sound too cynical, but once again, um, thank you so much, Victoria, for being a guest on this podcast. It was really great to hear from you.
1: Of course. Thank you so much for having me. And I have to say, not that I'm really that old myself, but anytime I meet someone who's even younger than me, who really cares and is trying to improve the community, improve their world, it really, it encourages me so much. It, It gives me so much joy to see that, you know, the next generation they'll be fine. We are in good hands. So thank you again for inviting me to be on this podcast.
0: I hope you enjoyed this episode of History for Two. Please share this podcast with your friends and tune in for other episodes. You can also find full video episodes on the website www.history42.com.